0: Christmas and a blessed new year to you from Media Talk 101. You're listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. We're a nonprofit ministry dedicated to teaching media discernment in the light of following Christ. Visit our website, mediatalk101.org, for helpful articles, videos, and other resources, including our award winning documentary, Captivated. You can also find out information about our upcoming event, the Christian Worldview Film Festival and Filmmakers Guild. I'm the host, Philip Telfer. I'm here with my co-host and friend, co-worker, Rhett Simpkins, and I'm glad to be back in the studio with you, Rhett. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, we have a special podcast uh, at the end, close of the year here, 2014, and we're going to uh, somewhat break form a little bit And the reason is, is because for this last year, I've been thinking about, you know, several things, but also with upcoming conferences and camps that I'll be speaking at. You know, I've been praying about what message God would, you know, have me to share with families as opportunities arise throughout the year. And what I'm going to be sharing uh, in this podcast it really has has come out of that. I'm actually working on several new uh, workshops uh, for the for 2015, and I some of those our podcast listeners are familiar with. You know, I'm going to be uh, putting together some information on drivers ed for the World Wide Web, which we've had a podcast dedicated to that. Also, uh, another interesting one that I'll be working on this year is is called "Follow Your Heart" and other deceptive messages uh, in children's films. So those are that's something I'm looking forward to. Also talking about it in a future podcast and in conferences and camps uh, this coming year. But today, probably the one theme that's been on my heart the most is what I'm calling thriving in Babylon. So what do you think about that, Rhett? How does that title catch you? <laughs>
1: it's somewhat ominous sounding.
0: Okay, so it, ominous. All right. Well, what so when you hear thriving in Babylon, what's the what's the what comes to your mind?
1: Um, well, just the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Daniel and his companions. Well, you hit the nail on the head
0: because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about. You know, and you know most Christians are really well versed in the heroic history of Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and we read about their story. So let me just let me just read the introduction to Daniel here, because this is going to go in a direction. So don't tune this out. If you're listening to this podcast, say yes, we know the story of Daniel and the and his three companions, but this is going to go in a direction that you you probably are not going to anticipate. So just hang in there. But let me read uh, the first few verses. It says, "In the third year." of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So there sets the scene to the stories that we know very well and we love. You know, the three men in the fiery furnace, Daniel and his interpreting the vision, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, all sorts of great, great stories. But as we look at these young men and even how they're described here at the beginning of the book of Daniel you know youths in whom was no defect they were they were good looking they were intelligent they were wise they were they were quick to to understand they they were eager you know to discern knowledge and they had ability to serve in the king's court and the question here the first question we have is why why did they have ability to serve in the king's court because we're told that some of these were sons of Israel. Some of them were royal family and of the nobles. So they came from either royal stock from the direct line of royalty or at least were part of the nobility. They were kind of the, 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 the top crust, you know, so to speak. And, you know, they had a, they had a rough start of it because what's, what we recognize about these men is they stood strong, in the midst of a a pagan culture, Babylon. And so as we talk about thriving in Babylon, we're going to see how their lives might speak into our situation as well. But what I want to do is not just look at the stories that we're familiar with, but actually go into the backstory to say, what, what was it about these young men that caused them to be prepared and ready to... To stand, uh, stand out in a pagan culture, and to really thrive, uh, to be ready to serve, to be equipped, and so that's that's what I want to talk about in this uh, podcast today. Okay, now as we talk about this backstory, there's some pretty exciting things here, Brett. You know, first of all, prophecies uh, about God's people being sent into Babylon. Those are, those are key to the story that we're going to look at. Also, specific prophecies about young men serving in the king's court. That's very interesting. That's in Isaiah. We'll look at that. Also, uh, this idea of being dedicated to the word of God rather than reacting to cultural shifts and political upheaval. So that's another direction we're going to look at. And then we're also going to look at one of the key players in the backstory. Of, of this drama, which is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who was called by God to proclaim God's judgment on the people of God and his plan for their discipline, which meant going into Babylon, but also for their well-being. You know, and out of Jeremiah comes one of the, the verses that many people memorize and, and quote, which is, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not for evil you know, to give you a future and a hope. Well, that's that's in the context of this backstory that we're going to be looking at today. And imagine for a moment what it must be like, you know, to be Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, called by God to announce to his nation, to his king, to the people there, that God was raising up a a pagan nation to come to discipline them. And that nation was was Assyria and then later Assyria was taken over by Babylonians and that's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in but uh you know as you think about some pagan nations or if you think about like notorious nations today or groups what would come to your mind Rhett like just in the news today like what what are Um, some notorious groups of people out there
1: um ISIS Al-Qaeda
0: okay so there's two good examples so could you imagine this would be like the equivalent of God telling you Rhett you know could you imagine if God came to you and said Rhett your job is to warn the US that I am raising up Al Qaeda you know to discipline you and they're gonna they're gonna take over and you're not to resist them in fact if you resist them it's gonna go really bad for you but if you'll just be a blessing to them It'll go well for you. How do you think that message would be received in America?
1: Ooh, I don't think that would be a very popular message.
0: Oh, no, it would not be. You you know, you would, you would definitely, uh, if you had started a website, it would be hacked and shut down for sure. Mm-hmm. You would make a lot of enemies in our... And essentially, that's what happened to Jeremiah. This was the message. It wasn't Al-Qaeda or ISIS. It was Babylon, the notorious... Uh, you know, nation um, in that day. And so, this is kind of the backdrop of this story that we're going to be looking at. And why? Why did God send them to Babylon? We're going to look at some of those verses. But in brief, here, it was due to corruption uh, in Israel, and in particular, Israel and Judah. Uh, disobedience, neglect of God's word. They were neglecting the Sabbaths. And so, What many Christians don't think about in this story of Daniel and his companions is we think about them standing strong in a pagan culture. But guess what? They couldn't stand strong in a pagan culture until they first learned how to stand strong in their own backyards. Hmm. Because as we think of them, oh, wow, aren't these great guys that were able to... But they were coming out of such a corrupt nation that God was using Babylon. He using Babylon to discipline them. So at this point, Babylon is in a better place than, than Judah and Israel. And so they're, they are being disciplined by the Lord. So can you imagine? These men came out of a corrupt nation, being sent to a pagan nation... And that is something that we need to, to think about. And, and here's, the, here's a little brief synopsis that, that if you read through your Bible, you'll remember that after the death of Solomon, the kingdom ended up being divided between the northern and the southern kingdom. Uh, Israel, the ten tribes, broke off. And and Samaria became their uh, center of that particular kingdom, the northern kingdom, and Judah and a couple of the tribes, uh, other tribes, they ended up in, centered in Jerusalem, and that was the southern kingdom, and to really compress this, I mean, both of those, if, if you read the history in 1st and 2nd uh, Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you see that overall, it's just bad news. You know, once in a while, you have a, a Judah tended to do a little bit better than than Israel, uh, but they continued to just become wayward and disobey God. And it was so bad at one point that they 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 so neglected the word of God even in Jerusalem that they at one point lost the law altogether and didn't even know it until they discovered it years later. You know, they we found a book. And that's 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 the state of the country of that time, and so because of this waywardness and because of one bad king after another, with a few little highlights which we'll talk about, but um, in particular, the northern kingdom Israel was more corrupt, and they were the first ones to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians when the the Assyrians were in control. They were sent into exile, and that's what we know now is the 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 lost 10 tribes of Israel you know which which were taken into exile then but later on uh it was judas turn and jerusalem they got a little bit more time because they had a couple kings that did what was right but it was not enough to to um to change the tide against them from god um, through babylon so that's kind of a little background there but you think about it date uh once again, Daniel and his companions came out of that corrupt culture. And as God was bringing Babylon against Jerusalem, this southern kingdom, this was kind of the last stand, there were actually three different deportations. And Daniel and his friends were part of the first of those three deportations. And that's the question I have. And I've always said, like, what is the backstory? You know, and we don't have a backstory a detailed backstory about Daniel and his upbringing and and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. We don't have this detail, but what we do have is a detailed backdrop to their backstory. And that's what we can piece together. And we can Hmm. deduce some things. We can actually look at the detailed backdrop to their story, which led to them being young men who stood strong. Now, why is this important to us? Because I believe it applies to young people today and to our culture. How can we be raising as families? You know, you have young children, representative I've got children. I've got eight ranging from 17 down to seven years old. And uh, I want them to be able to stand strong in a in a very shifting culture that we're at and be able to discern the times. And, and I want to look to see what What happened in the lives of these young men that not only did they stand strong in Babylon, but they stood strong in a corrupt, their own corrupt nation. And so that's what we want to do. So let's start with what we know about them and see if we can glean a little bit of their backstory. First of all, they were devoted to God. We see that in the first chapter of Daniel when they're tested and Daniel stands strong. So they were devoted to God. Now, here's a question for you, Rhett. Now that you just heard what I had to say about the some of the backstory. Do you think that was the norm?
1: Probably not, no.
0: No, no, it wasn't the norm, because had it been the norm, God would have relented. He mm-hmm. would have he would have said, okay, there's been repentance and reform in in the in my people. And I don't need to bring Babylon into the story to bring discipline. So they were the exception to the rule. They were actually what we'll talk about in a moment, a remnant group and now the next question we have is how might this have come about in their lives so so think about that so they're in a they're in a supposed to be a nation under god that has now uh, left their relationship with god and they're disobeying god disregarding his law disregarding his prophets um, participating in in pagan godless practices, idolatry, all of these things to the point that God has to discipline them. So how do you think that these young men came through as they uh,
1: they did? What's, so what's your best guess, Rhett? This is just a guess, but I'm going to guess that they were probably raised that way. <laughs> I I think
0: that's a good guess. There was some distinct discipleship and mentoring going on, and we could assume that it's likely from dad, and mom, because their, their dedication to the word of God, uh, and when we're talking about the word of God, we're not just talking about what had been written down in the law, because they, they definitely would have, would have been familiar with that, uh, but even more so, that present word of God coming through Jeremiah, uh, contemporary to them, and that dedication to the word of God doesn't come out of a vacuum you know you just don't you're just not born into a pagan culture and have this really hunger and thirst for God's word unless at a young age you're being fed the word of God and you know it makes me think of Timothy uh, in the New Testament when Paul writes to him and he reminds Timothy of his own upbringing about how he was taught the scriptures beginning at a young age and and it was his his mother and his grandmother that were pouring into his life and some of that history of that backstory of Timothy was his, his mother was a Jew but his father was a Greek but he was his mother was at least raising him to know the scriptures and then when Paul came and preached the gospel uh... uh Timothy as well as his mother and we could assume his grandmother also became Christians and Timothy became one of Paul's right hand men in the ministry and but that started with being fed the word of God. So there's one clue for us as we glean from the backstory. They had to have been given a steady diet of the word of God from a young age. And that likely came from dad and mom. And once again, this was against the stream, the mainstream of their culture at the time, which once again should have been a nation under God. But had now become a reprobate uh, nation, so that God was going to have to bring judgment. and And like I said before, at one point, so neglecting the word of God that they they lost it altogether hmm. and didn't even know that it was lost until it was found during King Josiah's reign. And so there's there's definitely a, a remnant. Let me read a couple of verses here about the remnant. and we, we read in Ezra chapter nine. Verses 7 through 9 says, since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So notice what is being said here was that it was a recognition that, yes, we blew it. And yes, God disciplined us by allowing us to go back into captivity. But he did this for a purpose, and that was to revive us. And what's important is as we look at the backdrop of this story, there were two things happening in the nation of of Judah in Jerusalem. And that was you had the word of God coming from Jeremiah saying, this is what God is doing. And he has a plan in this, and you need to follow his plan. Very few people were willing to listen to that. Most of them were detractors and people kind of rallying around their nation and saying, No, we can, we can, you know, we can win back our country. You know, doesn't that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. We're gonna win back our, we're gonna, we're gonna win back this country, you know, for Israel, you know, we're gonna see keep our flag flying high. And yet in hindsight, they looked back and said, you know what? God did this because he was going to revive us in the midst of being overtaken by a, a pagan culture. And as we move forward, as we look at how this applies to us, certainly in America, we haven't been taken captive and off to a place like Babylon. But there has been what I would call a cultural insurgency that's been slowly happening over the last hundred years. And uh, things have changed. And there, there, there's there are new rulers, so to speak, uh, that are in the majority, you know, in our country. And there's a, a culture that has usurped one that used to exist. And as a as a dad, and as a pastor, as a as a leader, you know, I look at this, and and you have two options, and you have two kind of battle, you know, or you have one main battle cry today: Hey, let's take back our nation. And and I'm going to talk about where that still there's some. There, there might be some something we can glean from that. But if we're looking at the perspective of what happened during these days, God says, no, I don't want you to take back your nation in in this way. I want you to uh, be revived and once again become a people that are, that are de- uh, dedicated and dependent upon me, uh, not on yourselves. There's some other verses about the remnant. You know, Isaiah 1 verse 9 says, starts out, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have made, been made like Gomorrah. And there's there's just verse after verse after verse that I've been looking at and pouring over about the remnant of, of God. And that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind as things continue to shift in our own culture, that uh, are we going to be part of the remnant that says we're going to be dedicated to the Word of God And we're going to dedicate ourselves to teaching our children the word of God and to being sometimes the little, the, you know, the, the minority, even in the, in the context here, if you think of, of Judah and Israel, these were the people of God. So you could almost look at it as like the church. And even as the church in our own day continues to compromise, it's not just the church being a remnant in the world. We're talking about sometimes a remnant of people, even in the church. You know, a small number of people that are saying, you know what, we're not going to just follow the the mainstream of where things are going because people are neglecting the Word of God. People are going there; they have their own agendas. They're not listening to what God is actually saying. They're reacting to culture rather than saying, God, would you speak to us? You know, even prophetically about what what's going on today and how are we to uh, how are we to respond by that? So it's about uh, that remnant. Now, also in the backstory here, there was one king after another that were just bad apples. There were a few good ones that uh, began to, for a season, lead the nation in a good way, but then as soon as they were dead, it would often revert and go back. So, with that, here's another question for you, Rhett How and why did the parents know to instill the Word of God? and actually train and prepare their children to thrive in Babylon.
1: So how did they know to do it? Yeah, how did they know? Well, likely their parents taught them to do that.
0: Well, you missed that one. It probably wasn't likely that their parents, because their parents were part of, uh, would have been just historically, part of just the widespread corruption, but something happened during the time period of Daniel's parents. So if you look at the if you look at the years that are given in the 1st ki- and 2nd Kings and Chronicles and that was a revival happened no. during their day. And what revival do you think that might be? You'll get this one. Josiah. That's right. King Josiah. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, the the time that the the law was discovered, it was during his reign. And uh, boy, he came on the heels of of a really wicked king. But then what happened was when Josiah was very young, you know, they they made him king at eight years old. Mm -hmm. And there was a priest, a man of God, who was influential in in raising him and coaching him and mentoring him as a king. So he didn't have, he didn't grow up uh, as a young man in a corrupted kingdom, which would likely end up him being corrupt but as providence had it he uh, grew up without that bad influence and he had a good influence good mentoring in his life and he began to bring about reform and there was a national revival that happened it was during those days that uh there were parents you know raising little children known as daniel and Hananiah, and Azariah, and Mishael, little toddlers at the time. And here the parents are uh, being part of this this national revival, seeing not only the king uh, turn the nation away from idolatry and back to God, but then when the laws discovered to, to begin to, to read it and weep over it and, and make sure that it was, was revived again in people's homes and the remnant is revived. And so there's a there's a revival. And during that revival um that revival was not long-lived. It only lasted during Josiah's reign. And then after he died, things went back to where they were, but not everybody. You see, you know, that's generally how rev- what happens during revivals if you study revivals. You know, they they're kind of a flash <laughs> and and things happen, but there's even though the revival doesn't necessarily last, you find that uh, there are there's fruit, lasting fruit, in the lives of a remnant. Because shortly after that revival, you see the nation slipping back into its old ways and beginning to per- persecute prophets like Jeremiah. But not everyone had deaf ears to God's messages. So you can imagine, if you're part of Josiah's revival... And your and your heart is being trained to God's word, and you're being and you're listening to the way God speaks to His people and the warnings. Then, when you hear a guy like Jeremiah, it's not going to sound so odd. You're going like, "Wow, that sounds exactly like what God has been saying all along to us, but we hadn't been listening. But now we're listening." And so God had the attention of a few people, and certainly, I believe that in this backstory in the, that we can at least look at the backdrop that there were parents that were saying, I'm we're going to raise our children differently. And we see in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes to the churches at the end of every letter to the seven churches, what does, what does Jesus say?
1: He who has an ear, let him hear.
0: Yes, that's right. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So even Jesus today is saying, you know what, do you have an ear? tuned to hear what I'm saying and so there was the remnant were the people that they were training their ears to hear what God was willing to say and that was important because what God was saying at that time and day were some very difficult things and you had to really trust the Lord Uh, so we have also in this story this backdrop is Isaiah well-known prophet who uh, by Jewish tradition was killed during the reign of Manasseh, who was one of the worst kings of the lot. And and he was a prophet to the nation of Judah that centered around Jerusalem. And there were several kings, including uh, Hezekiah and then Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, who was the really, really bad apple. Now, let me read this from Isaiah 39. Because this is powerful, so this is part of Isaiah's prophecy to Hezekiah, uh, prior to Josiah, prior to Babylon coming against uh, Jerusalem and taking captives. It says in verse, uh, or chapter thirty-nine, verse five. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house." And what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hmm. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now, this is also recorded in Second Kings chapter 20, and, uh, and, and several things. But notice, very, very specific. God had a plan, and he was going to see out that plan. And part of that plan was to have some of these king's sons, these offspring that were going to be serving in the king's court in Babylon. So there's a prophecy about Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. It's pretty powerful, don't you think? Yeah. So, you know, there were people who feared the Lord, they, they honored his word, and who were already in the king's court. You know, so you think about some of the families in the, and some of the people in the king's court during the time that Isaiah was sharing those words. You would think, wow, this is about our children. We better take this to heart. We better memorize this, write this down because even though Hezekiah was kind of slumped and it's like, well, at least it's not going to happen in my days, I'll have peace in my days. Not everybody was so um, haphazard with that information. Some would have said, you know what? For the sake of our future children who are going to be the ones sent to Babylon, we had better make sure that when that time comes, they're prepared to be the kind of young men that are going to serve well and honor God and stand strong, because we believe the word of God. It's going to happen. Uh, we must prepare our children for this. They need to be able to stand strong, and it's and it's God's will. It's His plan for them. So these are significant things. Let's read another part of the history here. Some of this backdrop in Second Kings chapter seventeen, and this. This, once again, maybe we should have even started with this. Maybe in the future when I share this message, I'll start with this. But this, uh, in 2 Kings 17, verse 6, it says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Haber, the river of Gazan, and in the cities of the Meats. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and the kings of Israel which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities, From watchtower to fortified city, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places, like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, Every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law, which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord, their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols Became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image, worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft, and soothsaying, sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. So there is the, that's just the, the story, hmm. you know, and of course that's Israel first, the the northern kingdom, and then Judah, the southern kingdom, right behind him. and that's when we come up to Second Kings chapter twenty four verse one, when we read, in the days Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. So that's King Jehoiakim of Judah. Then he turned and rebelled against him. It's during Second Kings twenty four one, prior to that there had been a shift. Uh, the, the Babylonians had come and, and overtaken the Assyrian Empire, and now it became the Babylonian, or sometimes they call it the, um, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And it was during that first altercation that uh, Daniel and his companions were taken captive. So that's, a, that's an important part of the history. But once again, going back to this this backstory. Daniel's parents would have known about Isaiah's prophecy. So they would have known, hey, there's this ancient prop. It's not. It wasn't so ancient, but it was an older prophecy. There's this prophecy, it's coming. And because Daniel and his companions were part of the king's court, it's like they're targets and they're likely. So we're going to listen to the word of God. Isaiah said it's coming. We're going to train them. And so they knew about this, and they were also contemporary with Jeremiah, so they would have been listening. So Jeremiah would have been the the main preacher of the day. You know, mm-hmm. He was like the well-known evangelist out there. Everybody knows who Jeremiah is, but not everybody was willing to listen to Jeremiah. But certainly Daniel's parents would have. He was the key figure, the best-known preacher for 40 years uh, in the nation. And so they would have paid attention to, So let's look at some of those verses that they would have been hearing from Jeremiah and think about how they would be processing these as parents and how they would raise their children. So Jeremiah uh, chapter one, verses one through three gives us the backdrop here. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, son of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So all through the history of Josiah till the time that they were taken captive, Jeremiah was there speaking, preaching to the people. And they weren't listening. But in Jeremiah 20, verses 4 and 5, here are some of the words. That Daniel and his friends, their parents, would have been listening to. For thus says the Lord Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon, and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city and its produce and all its precious things and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. So, how's that for preaching? <laughs> you know? So, that's what they were listening to. Wow. And as people were getting mad at Jeremiah and beginning to persecute Jeremiah, including the king, it wasn't everybody. Some people were keen in saying, you know what? It's the word of the Lord. And what are we going to do about it? We need to start preparing our children because they are the ones going. I mean, we don't know. Maybe we're not going to live through this. But our children, if God is merciful to them, will be some of those who are not slain with the sword, but they'll be taken captive to Babylon. And we see some more of this in Jeremiah 21. Starting with verse 3, it says, Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you fight against the king of Babylon. So essentially, you know, this is Zedekiah putting up a fight. He's like, Eh, we're not going to just give in, even though God was telling them to give in. He says, It's not going to work. He says, And the Chaldeans who besiege you outside the walls, I will assemble them in the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants and the people and such as are left in this city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life and he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Think about this. So here's the option. It's like, it's not all that bad. There's actually a way to life here, people, if you're willing to listen. So that's the, that's the the that's the hopeful news that was coming from Jeremiah. And in verse nine, he says, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. So here was the ultimatum. You either go along with my program, or... You're going to be destroyed, and his program was it's. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is serving me right now. He's doing my bidding, and so, but there was more hope to this. You know, it doesn't. It didn't just stop there. It just wasn't all doom and gloom, because for those who would listen to what God was doing during that time, there was a a, a message of hope for them, and that comes in Jeremiah 24 verse four. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. So, and by the way, you know, he's this is a response to a, a, a picture that God had given to of good figs and bad figs. And in verse six he says, For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And as the bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Thus, surely thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm to be a reproach and a byword a taunt and a curse in all places where I shall drive them and I will send the sword and famine and pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave them and their fathers so essentially if they were not willing to listen to the Lord and go along with it it was going to be bad news for them but for those who would listen to the Lord it was going to go well, and that's what leads us up to this, the beautiful passage in Jeremiah 29, where we, we quoted earlier, you know, the plans, but it, but it begins before that in verse four of chapter 29, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city or another translation says, seek the welfare of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace, you will have peace.
1: Hmm.
0: So that was the message to them. And I believe that should speak to us also as we see this cultural insurgency of a, as we have been in our country in many ways taken captive. What's our response to this? And that's where we have that beautiful verse in in chapter 29, verse 11 says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart I will be found by you says the Lord I will bring you back from your captivity I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you says the Lord and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive and so we have and, once, and it goes on after that once again talking about those who resisted this and the problems that they would have so let's let's kind of bring this to a close in talking about our babylon today once again we've not been carried off into a foreign city it's we have a culture now that's anti-god it's anti-christ it's an insurgency meaning that it's the it's in our midst you know it's just kind of sprung up around us and it's just it's just happened like leaven in that Jesus talked about how bad, you know, leaven can leaven the whole lump. As we see secular humanism all around us, uh, in the schools, in the government, you know, even creeping into churches that claim to be Christian. And as we think about Daniel and his training to be ready to thrive in Babylon, that training was not about compromising his faith. That training was not about adopting the false views. It was not a seeker-sensitive uh, approach. It was not about adopting the gods of of Babylon. His training to thrive in Babylon was all about shining uh, the light of of Christ, essentially, you know, in the midst of Babylon. And, you know, today we got so many Christians that just grumble and complain about our present culture. And and I'm not saying that we, we should just lie over and succumb, you know, unless the word of God, like Jeremiah, indicated we just give up. But we have to consider our tactics, you know, because has God called us to change Babylon, you know? Or has he called us in a time and place to seek its welfare, and to be a blessing, even if we are increasingly the minority, you know. Because depending on your perspective about this, your tactics are going to be much different, you know. So it, it comes like, hey, are we going to just be these vocal, you know, uh, you know, vocal political people, or are we going to say, you know what, we had this coming. This is this might even be God's judgment upon us. So how do we seek the welfare of the country that now is and how do we raise our children and do what Jeremiah instructed them to do to increase in the land to raise our children differently to begin to to bring in a good leaven back into the lump that it might have an impact and so as i have thought about this i'm going to i'll just close with giving our podcast listeners here I think, 10 action steps that we can draw from everything that we just looked. And there's more to it, obviously. I mean, there's so much to this backstory and that, that's so exciting to read in the midst of the tragedy of God's redemption uh, as, and, and his faithfulness to bring back his wayward people. And so here are the action steps. Number one, if you want to raise your family to thrive in, in our own Babylon, If you, you know, raising godly families in the midst of a pagan culture, uh, number one is the Word of God. We've got to be dedicated to the Word of God. Moms and dads need to be in the Word, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it, reading it, hearing it read, hearing it taught, and we need to be passing that along to our children, starting at an early age, feeding them a steady diet of the Word of God, because that's what happened in Daniel and his companions' lives, to help them become the men that they were number two, we we need distinct training for our children, distinct training for them to stand in a pagan culture. This is not a Christian culture anymore. And so we need to to teach them, you are in a pagan land and, and you are facing all sorts of, of things, but you need to stand strong. So they need that kind of training. We need to talk to our children about that instead of just glorying in the good old days, you know, or or complaining about the, how things are not no longer the good old days. The other thing, number three, we need to seek the welfare of this country. Seek its peace. Uh, so in that, while we still have the freedoms that we have, we need to vote. Certainly we need to be active where we can. But that's not enough because peace will not be secured at the ballot box. Peace can only be... S- be secured through the gospel of Jesus Christ and we need to be families dedicated to raising our children to understand the gospel understand the power of the gospel and that the answer to the problems in our culture are not going to be solved politically they're going to be solved through people being transformed through the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel so that's uh as we seek the welfare we can't exclude the importance of the gospel going up number four you have to trust that God has a plan for you and your children as things, as you see things unraveling around you. We think that things are unraveling around us. Imagine what it was like to be Daniel and his friends and in their families as they saw the nation completely come unglued and the devastation that was coming upon them. But they were taught from a young age No matter what you see happening around him, never forget that God has a purpose and a plan in this. And the schemes of man and the tumultuous culture around us cannot thwart what God has in store for for you. And so he had a good plan. So that's number four. Number five, don't merely react to this cultural insurgency, but rather listen to what the Spirit is saying. And I, and I just feel like a lot of the church today is just reacting. You know, we're reacting politically, we're acting socially, we're reacting, you know, culturally. And instead of just saying, wait a minute, maybe we need to stop and pray and seek the Lord and say, God, what, what are you saying? What is your spirit saying? Train our ears. Don't just follow even just the Christian crowd in the direction that they're going. This is not the rah-rah, let's take our country back. Now, if God wants our country back, he'll help us see this country come back but it's not us gaining the country this country will not be back unless it's humbled before God and submitted to God and it's not going to happen without repentance and repentance is not going to happen without the gospel it's not going to happen without the gospel and it's not going to happen without people being transformed by the gospel and being made righteous again knowing what's right as opposed to you know the difference between right and wrong which can't happen unless there's transformation transformation so number six Here's an important one. Know who to follow. You know, and look for people and leaders in your life who are following the word of the Lord. Inspect the fruit. Check the fruit. You know, if if you're following people that's just the rah-rah, let's take our country back, but they're not dedicated to the word of God. They're not pouring into scripture. They're not memorizing scripture. They're not meditating on it. I don't think that those are people we ought to be following because that's exactly what happened during the days of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was speaking the word of the Lord. He was in the minority. The majority of people, there were false prophets at the time. There was the king and others who were saying, dismiss this, and they were not focusing on the word of God. Uh, Number seven. And this is, maybe number seven is a little redundant, but uh, you know, memorize Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you know, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good, not for evil. And that's kind of one of the earlier points, but just a little action step. Memorize it, put it up on your wall, help your children understand the context of it in history and maybe how that applies to us today. Here's another thing. We didn't have time to go through some of these scriptures because this story moves forward. It's not just the story of Daniel and his companions in the book of Daniel because there's another part of this story when, when, when the people returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple and to rebuild the walls. And in that story, something else comes up, and that was God's command to not take foreign wives, to not intermingle. So basically, you know, even in the New Testament, the one instruction we have about marriage is it's in the Lord. It needs to be. In, that's the only. It's the only caveat that we're given about, um, you know, Christian marriage. It has to be in the Lord. So now, certainly, in cases where people come to Christ and they're already in a marriage, and one, one, uh, you know, one the husband or the wife come to the Lord, and the other ones do not. That's another story and and another situation. The Bible addresses that. But when you when we're talking about young Christians, aspiring someday to marriage. What does, the, what does the scripture, you need to marry in the Lord. And we're not talking about someone who goes to church, not someone who can say a prayer before a meal, not someone who you know gives in the offering plate once in a while. We're talking about people who are truly in Christ, truly have the life of Christ in them. And we need to raise our children to understand that that's actually critical to thriving in Babylon. You need to marry a godly spouse. And, and ideally, you're a godly person and you marry someone who's even godlier than you are. And uh, because you're going to need that to stand strong. So that's number eight. Number nine, which is based upon the scripture I encourage you to memorize, uh, Jeremiah 29:11 and following. It talks about calling upon the Lord and God saying, come and pray, come and call upon me. And if we're going to thrive in Babylon and raise our children to thrive in Babylon, we have got to be people of prayer. You need to dedicate yourself to prayer, to corporate prayer, to private prayer, to family prayer, and to be calling desperately upon the Lord during these times. And the last one number 10, God calls uh, said that things were going to turn around when pe- when his people would seek him with all of their heart. And we need to be examples of that to our children of parents who are seeking God with all of our hearts. And teaching them that's the most important thing for you as children. And as you grow up, I want you to seek God with all of your heart. And I want you to teach your children to seek God with all their hearts. And if we'll do these things, I believe we can raise
1: a generation that will thrive in Babylon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Media Talk 101 podcast. Philip mentioned that the story doesn't end with Daniel and his friends in Babylon. But eventually, the faithful Nehemiah would lead the effort to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. This reminded us of a short segment of a message by David Wilkerson called A Call to Anguish that we would like to share with you. We have included a link in this episode's blog post and encourage you to take a few minutes to listen to it. And as always, you can find more podcast episodes and additional resources on our website, mediatalk101.org. And don't forget... If you have a question, comment, or a word of encouragement, you can email us at podcast at mediatalk101.org. That's podcast at mediatalk101.org.